We just need to shift our perspective and realize that there's a lot of goodness in our teenagers and a lot of capabilities. Let them explore them, give them space to do that. Sometimes you have to nudge them and sometimes you have to put structure around that. And sometimes they're gonna argue or they're gonna feel uncomfortable. And I say, that's part of being a human being because you've gotta to learn to sit with that. Welcome to the Raising Confident Teens podcast, where we talk about life and leadership with teens and their parents. I'm Hudson. And I'm Rachel. And today we're diving into a fascinating subject, Hudson, your brain. Well, not specifically your brain, but the teenage brain in general. And joining us is our guest, Charlie Peck. Charlie serves school districts as a consultant with over 20 years of teaching and mental health leadership experience. As a certified social worker, she trains school staff to improve student well-being and empowers youth to better manage their mental health. As a keynote speaker, she provides education leaders with effective ways to infuse mental health into everyday practice in order to have a thriving school community. Not only that, she is also a parent to a teen herself, so she has to practice what she preaches. Welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So I have a question. Have you found that once you became a parent of a teenager, you understood brain science differently? Yes, because when you take on the perspective of someone who's going through the experiences with your teen, it just makes you, it makes you shift your whole thinking. It's like when people tried to give me parenting advice when they didn't have kids, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. It, it was so frustrating because I'm like, you just, but you don't get it. You don't understand how tired I am. You don't understand how much pain there is and how much guilt I have as a parent. And what it did is it allowed me to be very forgiving of my teen because I, I kept telling myself, well, this is what's happening in their brain right now. This is why. And it helped me ask them to be forgiving of themselves. Right. So yes. Yeah. Right. How did you get into learning about teens and their mental health? That's a great question. So I was a high school teacher for 18 years. Right now, I'm a therapist and a social worker. Um, so I was in the classroom with them, literally t teaching them about mental health because my classes allowed for that. I got to teach about psychology and I taught parenting courses. So once I learned how to research it and what the evidence of mental health and what was really going on there, uh, once I saw all of that, I was like, why do you not, like, why don't teens know about this? They need to know about themselves this way. So I had the, the pleasure and I was lucky to be able to teach it to them and continuously learn in the classroom. So then when I understood um, some things that were going on with, the, with them personally, um, we, we had conversations about mental health in our classes, but then I made really strong connections with my, my students. So they would come talk to me all the time. And I realized that there was such a, a lack of or a lack of communication, a lack of resources. A lot of them didn't even know what kind of resources for mental health we could offer at the school level, like in the building. So. I realized there were all of those gaps, so I decided to um, become a therapist so I could really understand clinically what was going on, and that's how I learned about mental health. 
Yeah, it's fascinating to me. Um, I remember, because I took a lot of psychology classes in college, but we were never taught about this kind of stuff. This stuff is all pretty new, mm-hmm. the stuff it's they're finding out. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of information about structures of the brain. It goes back to the middle 1800s where there was a guy who had a a rod shot through his brain and he survived. But what happened is his personality changed. And so we realized that personality, um, different parts of the brain don't always uh, need each other to to function, but then they do communicate. So, I mean, I know that sounds a little distorted, but you can have like this particular guy he was a really nice guy, but when he got that rod shot through that one part of his brain, he became somebody you can easily communicate with and he got very irritated and he lost his, um, like he lost, like he got angry a lot. So we've learned about that, but what, what happened in the 90s is we are able to look more at brain functionality and structures and how they work when you behave, like different behaviors show up. So the fMRI is something that we've been studying which is really great. It's not just a stagnant photo of the brain. It's, well, what is your brain actually doing when you say something or when you look at a picture that's scary? Like what's happening? So that that fMRI changed things. And then they really started thinking about the teen brain differently. And in the 90s, that just shot up. All the, the brain science start, start emerging. So we've learned a lot since then. Yeah. I, you know, I'm in a lot of parenting groups and the parents are always talking about their teens and how out of control they are and how crazy they are and then the other parents will answer back you know you just have to get through it they'll be better once they hit their 20s <laughs> um, and it makes me really sad because it's it, it's almost like it's a prison sentence they're like you just have to serve your time and then you know and they're miserable the whole you know adolescent period and we have a lot of these ideas that are commonly believed but not only are they wrong they kind of they, they make this time period more difficult for us and our teens. So can you just talk to a little bit about how their brain changes? Can you say like, how, how is the brain of a teen actually different than that of a child? That is awesome because it's true. If we understand this, then we understand how awesome adolescence actually is and can be. And yes, it's there are challenges, but so is childhood. I mean, having a sweet little baby is a big challenge sometimes too that we don't talk about as a society. What happens for, for the teen brain and really the adolescent brain because it starts starts changing in, in adolescence, right? And that can start as early as you know, 11, 12, 13. And so the there's definitely hormones that are changing, but there's so much more going on in the teen brain, the body, um, and the way that the neurons are wiring is, is it's active. Let's just say it's very active and they get very stimulated by things going on. So think about it like this. You have a, uh, a car and think of all the parts of a car's engine and that makes that engine move. So many things can go wrong with those different parts of the engine. And that's kind of what's going on in the brain is there's lots of room for all those moving parts to something maybe to get flawed or something um, difficult and challenging happens. Um, there's lots of moving parts. So that's why mental illness or let's just say mental health issues start to emerge greatly by about 14, about that age. That's because of all of those things going on. So what's different about the teen brain is that they've learned all of these messages about who they are and a lot of those neg- those are negative, right? Society, like you said earlier, treats adolescents or the teen years as a very negative 
time and it really needs to change because this is the time where plasticity is really powerful in the brain and that means that when you take on a new skill or you try something new and you keep practicing that over and over, you can get really great at that skill. And that's why teenagers, they start to get really passionate about things that they're interested in. So we need to encourage much more of that. And another piece to this is called pruning. And so in the teen brain, it's kind of that use it or lose it. If you've ever looked at Dan Siegel work, uh, Dr. Dan Siegel's yeah, work, right? I'm sure you know. It's yeah. great. It's it, He is someone who I love watching what he does because he gives people hope about adolescence. I mean, that's what, it, it just gives you so much clarity. But that pruning part is important because those neural connections, it's kind of like if you think of a rose bush, and you prune away the, the dead parts of the rose bush, well, those parts won't, won't thrive, but the other parts that are um, making those neural connections are thriving. So when you're teaching teens or exposing them to things that they're good at and have them practice and learn more about those, they're strengthening those neural connections. So the more they're exposed to, the better, especially if they're really into it. I think that's fascinating. Um because it's kind of goes along with what we teach, but I didn't realize it until I started reading about, I was looking at Dr. Siegel's stuff the other day, just in preparation for this, because we, we figured out, um, a lot of people know that we built our own house and through that experience, we realized that teaching kids skills did something to their brain. And, and I didn't realize what it was. I just felt like there's something here that teaching different skills, no matter what they are, it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, all in one thing. It could be cooking, it could be driving, it could be learning to play a musical instrument. Just any skill makes them more confident people. Yes. And, and then I, um, then we started the, uh, the podcast and we called it Raising Confident Teens and we were teaching skills because I felt like there was connection. And then I saw Brendan Burchard do a whole talk on the confidence competence loop. And I'm like, yes, I was, there was a connection there. I didn't realize it. Um, you know, the more competent you become, the more confident you become, which leads you to be more um, willing to learn new things, which in turn makes you more confident. And it just is a big loop. And the more we can do it with our kids, the, the stronger they will be as a person. Absolutely. And oh. oftentimes what we do is when they start questioning things, which they're supposed to do at their age, by the way, their brain is actually guiding them to now start to question what's going on in the world. And as kids, they just kind of, we just kind of feed them information. But as teens, part of their development, it's crucial that they start thinking critically about the world around them. So what happens there? Well, they become more argumentative or they disagree and they're not as compliant. But think about how powerful it is that I mean, you talked about advocacy when they can learn to self advocate oh my gosh but we adults have to be receiving of that we have to tolerate that it doesn't mean we tolerate the discon or the disrespectful communication but then we have to teach them how to respectful respectfully communicate they don't always know like they do not realize that somehow sometimes when they speak out loud to you that their tone is changed they don't really get that that is disrespectful because they don't there's that part of their brain, the prefrontal cortex, I think most of us know about this now, it doesn't fully develop until your mid-20s. And so what happens is their part of the brain that is trying to plan and communicate with their emotions is just not as developed as, 
as adults are, and trust me, adults need help with this stuff too, trust me, but they are more, uh, they're going to respond more with their emotions because that's the brain telling them to just respond. But what we have to do as adults is stay calm, validate what they're trying to be curious about, encourage curiosity, don't always, uh, don't always think that they have to be compliant to be quote unquote good. I mean, that's part of what they, want, they need to do in order to be a thriving, independent adult. So there's a lot of disconnect around argumentative teens. Well, let's try to get underneath that. We have to teach them to be respectful. Of course, we have to. They have to have ownership over that. I'm not saying not to, but a lot of times they just don't have the skill. So we need to lead them in that skill yeah. building. That's good because uh, we want them to leave eventually. We don't want them to live with us forever. So <laughs> right. they, they have to learn how to think things through. Um, and that's how they're learning is right. probably a lot of the times they just, I don't know, Hudson, I feel like a lot of times they just uh, pop things out of their mouth and they don't necessarily think about what they're saying. Well, they don't. They don't. They're, they're not. They're not skilled in that way. It's true. And then they get in trouble and they're like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Hudson, I would love to hear what you have to say about this. I mean, I guess we do. Like, like uh, we have that issue with the tone a lot. Like, you're sure. you're saying that very disrespectfully. How do we could, how do we help them hear how they're saying that? Okay, I will say this: the most important thing you can do is model it yourself, because often we're giving them a nasty tone, and we think it's okay when we do it, and they're hearing us, and they don't realize that. Well, why is that wrong? Or there's parts of their brain. It doesn't give them an out, by the way. It does not give them an out. But he's smiling. Are, right? <laughs> yeah, you still have to be accountable. We all have to be accountable for our choices and actions. But once they practice this skill and they hear themselves, what you can say is, did you hear your tone? And then what you can say is, listen to the tone that I heard from you and then repeat it with that tone. And then now show them the nicer, respectful tone. And then ask them, did you hear the difference? And what you just did was a very powerful connection that they just made in their brain because when they learn, that's when they strengthen those connections. If you can get them to determine the difference between the respectful versus disrespectful term, um, tone, they'll, their brain will learn it. It's not, that doesn't mean they're gonna get perfect at it. I will ask every adult listening right now, how perfect are you at managing your own frustration? Right, yeah. I'm not. And yeah. I teach this stuff. I'm not perfect at yeah. it. I take it out on food a lot of times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. get a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of times we take our frustrations out on our teens or our other kids who are around when we're arguing with our teens a lot. Yeah. And what I say is, listen, and, and you all know I've been there. I have three boys. I have an 18-year-old. Um, I have an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old. I get it. I've been through all the stages. And I'm wrong a lot. So when I'm wrong, I need to own up to it and model that for them. Now, there's a question of power there, right? We all are like, oh my gosh, I don't want to give up my power. Well, listen, it's not about that. It's not about that. We're there to teach and guide. If you want them out of your house and living independently, we have to identify what the, the problem is 
and let's solve that. If we just take all those tough emotions away and say, listen, we're gonna come back together when we're both feeling calm and, and reasonable, and we're gonna just identify what the problem is. There's something you probably need that you're not getting, or there's something you want you're not getting, and your brain is just making you feel really um, frustrated over that. Yeah. So let's, let's th that's why coping skills are so important with stress, because that, that cortisol has flooded their brain and their amygdalas, you know, that fight, flight, or freeze, and in trauma, there's sometimes fainting. That is a very brain-based response to when we are scared. A lot of times there's fear, um, frustrated, angry, anger is secondary. It's always something else. Sometimes they're tired. Oh my gosh, how many times have we been so tired? Think of the teen brain. There's so much going on in their brain. It's telling them to stay up later and then go to bed later but society starts earlier, so they're tired. Like there's just so much going on that we need to, to think about, find the best way to get ourselves calm, come back, what's the problem, and let's solve that problem together. Yeah, I think that anger is often the natural response to everything. Well, think about the last time, and Hudson, I would challenge you to do this, um, and you too. Uh, think about the last time you were angry and think about what was that really about? It's normally fear. Of what? Of what, of anything, like not not measuring up or mm -hmm. um, people not liking you, you know, stuff like that. Okay, so think of adults who have a pretty good handle on that, usually, not always, because we're humans. And then think about a teenager who has gone through life hearing negative messages about, oh gosh, the teen years, that, that must be a tough time, or um, they're not able to interpret what we can interpret the same way because that prefrontal cortex, there's a lot of issues with problem solving and planning. And so the messages they're receiving uh, are, are not maybe like, like accurate based on what the person is trying to send but they're misinterpreting it or they're, they're being mislabeled or misguided. And so a problem with that is like one of the things that we're learning through science is, and, and they have to do more, they have to do more studies on this to find, to find out more about this. But what they, some of the things they've found is that teens look at the uh, facial expressions and sometimes they misinterpret it. So if they look at your face and you, you were just inquisitive, you're like curious, or surprised, they might actually think you're mad at them. And so what do they tell themselves? Well, I'm gonna be defensive because I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> and then there's a fight, yeah. right? So they're even misinterpreting your, your verbal cues, your, your stance, right? Your stance matters. The way, like I even say this to educators all the time, when you're working with teens, do you get down to their level too? Because who wants to, someone hovering over them? Right. We teach that for little kids, but the teens, teen brain, I mean, they're thinking about their personal space. They're feeling awkward, like th that position of power and authority. So the yeah. more we can say, let's do this together, let's problem solve, let's build these skills together, the better off parents will be. Yeah, I think, you know, you were talking about control. Like, you know, our generation, it was a lot of, you do what I say because mm -hmm. I said so, and you really weren't given a voice Right. And, you know, a lot of people still think, you know, that's just the way you should parent. But, uh, you know, nobody wants to be voiceless. <laughs> no, everybody wants a voice. And, and I feel like it does hamper you as an adult when you didn't learn, did not, you, did, you weren't allowed to reason through things, you know? 
Right. You know, that's, that's right. And so part of that is if you empower teens to use their voice, you get the opportunity to teach them how to use it respectfully. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I have a question going back a little bit to the pruning. How does the brain know what to prune out? Well, that's, I mean, goodness gracious, there's so much to that as a neuroscientist that I am not um, a neuroscientist. But what I can say, what I do know about it is if you think simply about it, um, and it is complex, but if you think simply, if you're doing a skill and you're doing more and more of it and you're using all of the senses or at least a few senses at a time, like touching, um, seeing it, hearing it. I tell students when they're when they're studying for a test, write it out. Um, the brain holds on to that information better. Whatever pen you wrote with, use it on the test. So whatever whatever your whatever skill you're trying to practice, and you pull in the senses, you're strengthening the connection. Mm. And so if you don't, so let's say you practice singing, but you don't practice riding your bike. Well. You might, you will become, uh, you'll strengthen those neural connections in the singing process, but you may not know how to effectively ride your bike. That's very simplistic. It's much more complex than that. But if we can understand that, we'll expose our teens to, to more. And that's why there's a big struggle with video gaming and tech. I, I cannot tell you how many, it's an issue in our house. It's an issue in our house. It's an issue in schools everywhere. So I think there's going to be a generation of having to study this generation and, and the past generation about how tech has changed our brain. I'm, I would, I believe there's going to be structural differences in our brain because of the technology we're exposed to. But we are so focused on one thing. So if they don't get exposed to other things, they're gonna, they're not gonna strengthen those neural connections, and they won't maybe be as good at those things later in life. Yeah. So the key would be expose them to as many different things yes allow them opportunities to choose the things that they like though so i mean they may like one thing but then if they just do that one thing all the time they're not being as well-rounded later as an adult and that has social implications because the more that you can kind of have perspective on different things the more conversations you can have, the more connections you can make. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert at everything. But I will say, like, let's say my one kid, I mean, loves Mario. Oh my gosh, if he could do everything in his whole life around Super Mario Brothers, he would, right? But I would be doing a disservice to him if I didn't expose him to other things. So our job as parents is to think for the long game for our kids and our teens so we expose them to different things, encourage them to do other things, but let them have choice because then they'll be more, more motivated to do it. What if they say, I don't want to do any of that? that a you're lot of them will. Me. So then what do you do? Uh, then you, you say, okay, well, if the problem is you're sitting on tech too much, we're going to pull that away until you find two other things that you can do um, that you, you find that you like. Right. Because, and explain that to them, show them, show them pictures of the brain, have them find that out. I just wrote an article, somebody just asked me about um, avoidance, because there's a lot of a lot of kids and a lot of teens who got to stay home over COVID, and they got really comfortable at home, and there's a lot of anxiety and avoidance of school, mm. or refusal to go to school. And they said, I can't just tell my kid to go to school, because they don't care. And I said, you're right, they're not going to care, just if you tell them it's the law, 
that's not what gets them to care to go to school. You've got to ask them, what kind of lifestyle do you want? What kind of house do you want? Let's drive around the neighborhood and look to see. You point out the ones that are for sale. We're going to go home and look that up. We're going to see how much that costs. How do you have to make, how do you get to make enough money to afford something like that? And then you have to relate it to their lives. They're not going to care unless you relate it to their lives. They have to have buy-in. You have to play into their ego a little bit. Mm. So there's, there is a lot going on. Um, but the good news is they, they are, they can be interested in other things. You have to structure that for them. Some of those things you have to nudge them and structure it. And that's where the parent's role comes in. Yeah, that's good. Um, I remember my kids had a band, uh, director and he told the story of when he was a kid all he wanted to do was play video games and his mom gave him the ultimatum you either have to i think it was band or choir you have to do one of those and he really wasn't interested in it and then he started playing the trombone is that what mr hellman played who mr hellman Anyway, he fell in love with it. I think so. And he went on to play all through middle school, high school, and then college. They got him through college on a scholarship, and then he became a band director. You know, if his mom had not done that, he would have missed a whole, you know, his whole calling. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And, and by the way, it's okay to have our, our teenagers be uncomfortable with some things. I mean... We need to, to teach them that, well, there are just some things you're going to do that you're uncomfortable with. And I'm not talking about a violation of your body type uncomfortable, because it, it, that's a whole different thing. We need to teach them to speak up for themselves about that. But there are things in life, they just have to stand in line sometimes, and they have to manage that. They right. have to learn to sit with discomfort, too. And, and by the way, that is a skill. I mean, if you teach them that this is just something you have to do, let them, if they're going to complain, let them complain. You're not going to control them. You're not going to control what they say. That's the problem parents have is trying to control every little thing that their kid does. And both of you end up frustrated. So, you know, when you have a toddler and they keep getting in the plant, you can literally control that by picking them up and moving them. You can do that. But a teenager, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. That's why there's so much turmoil with these broken relationships with parents. If we can just shift our view of what's really going on with them and what there's, what we're supposed to do to help them, we're still allowed to have those boundaries up. We're still allowed to hold them to an expectation of be a respectful human being. And this is how you do that. But a lot of that starts with us and it's really hard because we're tired yeah. and we're overwhelmed. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's a mindset shift from, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. It's I a practice. It. Think about when we learn about something um, how many times have you read something in the paper and it, it makes somebody look really bad and then you read more about it. You're like, Oh, I kind of feel for that person. I want parents to think of teenagers that way. Any teacher who works with teens or adolescents, like middle school and high school, they love teens. They love them. And so we need to get, we need to get parents to buy into that appreciation of that stage of life. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause you know, most people talk about their teenage years as being really hard, but it's like we forget. It's like mm-hmm. we forget how hard it was. <laughs> well, so was my three-year-old. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So was my three-year-old, and and it can be really exciting. And yes, there's ups and downs for sure. I mean, there's they're trying to figure out their emotions and who they are. That's their job. Their job in this stage of life is finding out who am I. 
And so you've got the, the biological stuff going on. There's a lot of genetic factors there. If they have a very stressful life, um, that might, it's called epigenetics. They, it kind of, it might make certain genes show up that wouldn't be there, like schizophrenia, for example. I mean, you could be predispositioned to, to have certain mental illnesses that if you have a, a relatively uh, calm kind of, just kind of getting through life without too many traumas or too much stress, that may not show up for you. But some people are biologically dispositioned to be alcoholics, for example. And I mean, and that's very simplified, but if you don't, if, if you manage your stress well, that may not happen for you. Or social, socially. Look how many things are going on socially with kids in schools these days, online. We haven't talked about the influence of social media. It's right. a very difficult place to be as a teenager right now. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why do you think that some teens mature sooner? Is it because we've allowed them to have those experiences? Or is their brain development, just like physical development, for some people it just happens sooner? Or is it a combination of yeah. these things? It's usually it's, it's combinations of all of that. I mean, sometimes kids who live in other other situations, they are, they have to grow up a lot faster than others due to their life circumstances. Or biologically, yeah, genetically. I mean, the personality just meet, might be predispositioned. How many, I, I know as a, as a teacher, I've seen it a million times. Some students just manage their school better than others. But I also worry about the ones who seem like they have it all together because underneath they might go home and fall apart. So there's a, a lot of pieces to the puzzle and we just have to allow the space for them to open up when they need to share that stuff with us. So yeah, sometimes they seem like they're more mature and have it together um, and lots of different factors. Sometimes they're just trying to be obedient and look that way in front of a parent, but then they're going off and doing really other, like other things that they're not making good life choices about because we've taught them to kind of manipulate us. Well, you have to be this way in front of me, but when I don't know what you're doing, what are you really doing? Right. So if we can have that open... a reflection on us, is, or we feel it's a reflection um, on us. We, we do. Oh, I can't tell you how many parents <laughs> feel so much guilt and shame when their kid has uh, struggling with mental health and, and suicide. I mean, suicide is a problem yeah. at this stage of life. And if we just learn to listen, and, and truly, I mean, it's a skill, like truly listen better and validate what they're going on without thinking that we're going to fix everything or to send the message that they're broken or there's something wrong with them. If we, if we look at it like a trauma approaches, what need of yours is not being met? Let me try to help you meet that need. I may not do it for you. Um, some, a lot of times we parents try to do it for them and that doesn't work either. It doesn't help them build that skill. What we need to do at this stage of life is say, I don't know what it is. I may not even have the answer. I don't even know what to say, but I love you and I'm with you. I will walk alongside of you as you're going through this and we're going to do this together. And you might have to do some hard work through this, but I'm not leaving your side. So that's important messaging there too. Yeah, it was a big uh, aha moment for me one day when one of my girls was came to me and was telling me all this stuff. And I was thinking in my mind, how do I fix this? And then, hmm. you know, the thought came to me, do you want me to listen to you or do you want me to help you fix it? Mm -hmm. And she was just like, I just want you to listen. And so that kind of was a, a click, click something for me. Cause now, I, now when they come to me, I'm like, do you want me to help you with that? <laughs> right. or do you want Good. 
That's a great question. Think of what you're doing for that that kid, that teen, what you're doing to shift that power balance over to them and let them be in charge of the next step instead of you making that decision for them. Yeah. Powerful. I think really we powerful. feel, I mean, because we're so used to it when they're little, we have to fix things, you know, like mm-hmm. they come to you with their little hurts and you want to give them a Band-Aid and, you know, sometimes they just want to talk. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a brain dump. So if they're holding on to it in their heads, and boys typically do this more than girls, but I will say as a teacher, I had just as many, if not more boys come to me crying. Um, they need that expression. They need to get that, that off of their minds because part of that, the mental health issues and struggles is the, the psychological part where their thoughts are just, they're just going on in their mind over and over. And if they don't get that out of their mind and process it, they get stuck. So it's some of the things I encourage teachers to do and parents can do this. That's why journaling is so important. Do a brain dump, think of that thought and just let them talk it out without judgment. Watch your face, watch how you're responding. Don't respond, just be there like you said, or let them write it out. It's a brain dump. It's just transferring it from what's stuck in their mind onto paper. And that is so therapeutic and healing. Yeah. I mean, it's good for adults. So why would it yeah. not be good for teens? Yeah. And we're, we need to teach teens more of these skills and these tools, give them these tools. Yeah. And they'll use them. They'll use them. So since not every teen is going to be willing to listen to their podcast, how can parents explain this to their teens and help them understand what is going on in their brain? I would always, that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. I would always address it positively and say, I think there's probably a lot going on with you that maybe I don't know. Uh, maybe you can talk with me about it. And if always give them an out saying, let's, let's find out together. Or if there's somebody that you trust, who's an adult that you trust that you can talk to, please talk to them about it. Parents think that they're the only ones that their kids should talk to. And that's not true. It's actually great. It's good respite. And sometimes our teens, because of the relationship, um, need other adults, not friends, adults they trust to talk talk with about something that's bothering them. So tell them that. And then also just talk about it, um, about the brain. Just take one piece of information you've learned today and talk with your teen about it and say, did you know that your brain doesn't finish developing till your mid twenties? What does that mean? Did you know that part of your brain that keeps your, um, keeps your, your thoughts organized or your schoolwork planned out? Well, do you know that maybe that you lack a focus, um, because that part of your brain's not fully developed yet? Just, just have these little conversations and normalize it, normalize anxiety, normalize anxiety and tell them to use stress as a motivator. So it's, it's taking what we know and, and make it positive and a way to work for us rather than doom and gloom of everything. You know, I know my kids, especially the girls, sometimes they get really emotional and, and they'll be like crying and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, I don't know. Right, they don't. I'm crying. They don't know. <laughs> they don't. So how do we help them when they, when they feel like their emotions are all over the place? How do we help them other than maybe... I guess journaling would be a good, but then they don't even know what <laughs> they don't know. So if you do a brain dump, you can just say, get a piece of paper and a, a pen and just put your pen to the paper and time your, put your timer on, set Alexa for five minutes and just don't lift your hand up. Or there's so many other ways. I mean, I would don't, you know, offer them a ton of tools. There's a lot online. I can give you a thousand of them. Um, but they may not be people who want to write it down. So say just, 
I'll sit here for five minutes with you. Put a boundary on it too for yourself, by the way. Say, I'm gonna just listen to you for five minutes. I'm not even gonna say anything. I'm not gonna judge you. I just wanna hear what you have to say. Just different strategies. Let them let them explore those strategies and see what works for them. But But don't make them try to figure out what's wrong with them because they don't and then that's pressure and then they feel shame because they don't know what to do. It's just those, there's a lot there. Yeah. So the best thing we parents can do, if you guys walk away and do nothing else, what I want you to do are these two things. Number one, stop talking and listen. And number two, I want you to ask them in those moments, what do you need? Mm and they may not know, and that's gonna be okay, and you may not know how to fix it for them, but you're gonna sit with them in it. Yeah, that's good. There was something that I was watching with Dan Siegel, and he was talking about their need for, um, they're trying to separate from us, and they are, they gravitate to more thrill-seeking, risky (laughs) behavior, which I never realized that was a normal teenage thing, you know? Yes. Um, um, and no, go ahead. Sorry, finish your question there. Yeah, so so I guess by giving them like, hey, encouraging them to get in sports and do that kind of stuff. How can we fill that need of them wanting new experiences, you know, and not um, and keep them from doing risky stuff? I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Well, again, we're not going to have a lot of control over that. So we've got to give that foundation of I'm here to talk when something's going on. But the understanding here is important. So their release of dopamine is a little different than an adult's. And that's why teenagers typically have more risk taking behaviors. So we do we have they don't we don't want them filling that need. Remember, it's a need. We don't want them going after that feeling in an unhealthy way because they some of them will if we don't guide them the other way so ask them ask them what is it that you love to do and and steer them in a risk-taking behavior that's a healthy outlet for them so snowboarding maybe they want to snowboard or ski or water ski um, it's got to be something that they are interested in doing so that release of dopamine comes from their own brain which gives them motivation any kind of motivation that comes from their own brain is once they're going to continue doing so we just ask them what they'd like to do go ahead you have a thought are, are they getting that dopamine hit from video games absolutely they so are. that's why they seek that so much Absolutely, and think about how many times they're getting hit with that. They design these games around knowing that brain science. Right, yeah. What's mm-hmm. your dopamine hit, Hudson? I know what it is. Airsoft? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he loves yeah. to play airsoft with his friends. Like, they, they design the whole day. They got it all planned out. What guns right. were taken. Right. And then but, everything falls apart. <laughs> well... Do you know what, though? It's very social. So there's also a belonging. There's a huge need, and you know this, Hudson, a sense of belonging. There's a a friendship, a camaraderie around that. So that that feeling is really important for for bonding among human beings. It's foundational. Especially at that age. Yeah. Especially at that age, yes. Yeah. So just consider that. Now, do we take that away completely? Probably not, because they're that's going to be a power issue there. But you can, again, give some structure to it as the parent. And then tell them. Tell them why. Tell them why. 
That's interesting. I was, I got sucked in the other day. I was on Facebook and I saw this little clip about this woman spy in World War II that worked for this secret group that Winston Churchill had set up. I love stories. Um, and, and, um, and so I got sucked down this little hole. I was like, she had a wooden leg and she did all this crazy stuff. Um, so I was like Googling her name, which led me to a bunch of other <laughs> women spies that, that did, they had to, I guess they figured that women were less suspicious. So they had this whole like group of them and I was reading their stories and a lot of them, a lot of them were, uh, killed by, um, in the concentration camps, but I was looking at their ages and they were all like 20, 22. And I'm thinking, it's the risk. I, I think they were attracted by the risk-taking behavior, but they did not see the, you know, like someone my age would be like, oh, I got to think about this before I volunteer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. they don't see the negative downsides as much as adults. I guess that's why a lot of young guys go to join the military at 18. You know, they see the camaraderie, they see the excitement and the risk-taking, but they don't necessarily see the negative as strongly as a older person would. Right, and I can tell you, there's an, a really great example that Dan Siegel uses in his book. Um, it's, uh, what's it called, Brain something. Brainstorm. Has, Brainstorm. Brainstorm for yeah. the teens, yeah, the teen one, yeah. It's really good, it's about a girl who wants to do some kind of risk-taking behavior. And we used to, like when I used to teach this, I used to say, well, teens don't usually understand the long-term consequences of their outcomes. And it's actually not that they don't, it's that, they don't care because that immediacy, that dopamine release is so powerful and that need to belong, it creates that uh, decision-making very easily for them to be like, well, I just need this right now. I just want this right now. So I don't really care if I'm going to get in trouble for it later. Mm. They don't see long-term. They don't, um, it doesn't bother them the long-term because it's, they're willing to take that consequence to get that feeling that need met at the moment. So how do we help them? How do well, we help life, them see long term? Honestly, life circumstances and um, experience really helps that. It does. Life experience and as their brain does develop, they do work through those problem solving skills a little bit better. So that's why even us looking back at all those silly things that we did that we wish we didn't or that we would have done differently, it, it's because of all of those factors were playing a role. So what you can do is help them help them talk through it first if you know something will come up so that when they're in the moment maybe they'll remember your conversation yeah that's why we have to have these the, all these practice of mindfulness practices you need to do this in the time when it's calm and you you can access the parts of your brain that are going to be reasonable and rational so that it sits in your memory so that you can tap into it later when you really are stressing out yeah that's good mm-hmm. there's so much I love this. There's, I mean, I could talk for like hours and hours, and I know we can't keep doing that. Um, what can teens do to help their the adults in their lives, maybe not their parents, but like teachers or coaches, understand these concepts? Wow. I love that question, Hudson. So have a conversation. The one thing teachers love to do is talk. <laughs> so tell them, show them, bring an article in, forward it to their email and say, can we talk about this for the first five minutes of, in class? Or go to a coach and say, hey, I learned this about dopamine in my brain, and every time I go and shoot shoot a hoop and I get it in, that gives I think that gives me a release of dopamine. What else can we do in practice? It, just share it with them. Give them one piece at a time and, and say, hey, can we talk about this? And then 
they might go learn more about it. And then all of a sudden we're sharing knowledge, which gives us power to make better decisions. So that's a great question. Love it. Tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you want to add? Yes, I will say this. So there's a lot of anxiety going on in school with our our teens today and adults too, because we we take a lot of that burden on for our, our teens. I will say to any adult or any student or adolescent teen listening right now, when you have something that seems overwhelming, break it down into the smallest steps that you can. So if you have an assignment and you know it's gonna take you three hours to do, do not think of it like that. Take one little piece of that, and it might take you literally one to five minutes to to complete one thing about that. Do that, because when you complete that, dopamine gets released in your brain when you have a sense of completion. So what do we know about dopamine being released? It feels good, we want more of that. So if you have something big, break it down really, really small and build from there. Yeah, that's good. Because that's how it's going to work. Yeah, that's how you get through it. That's good, even for adults. Like, <laughs> Yes, yes. How many yeah. times do we ask a thousand questions to kids or teens all at once and expect them to answer all of them? Yeah. It's communication. we got to get better at it. Yeah, the first step is the hardest, too. So if you break it down, take that first step, then it makes all the others easier. Mm-hmm. So we, and, over, under, we underestimate, we overestimate what we can do and... I don't know how the statement goes. Never mind. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. The expectations can still be there if we hold our expectations high. Uh, I, I have a really hard time talking about expectations, though, because it puts a lot of pressure and it's not our, always accurate and our perceptions need to change about expectations. And then it leaves room for feeling like a failure. So we just need to shift our perspective and realize that there's a lot of goodness in our teenagers and a lot of capabilities. Let them explore them, give them space to do that. Sometimes you have to nudge them and sometimes you have to put structure around that. And sometimes they're gonna argue or they're gonna feel uncomfortable. And I say, that's part of being a human being because you've gotta learn to sit with that. Give them some tools to sit with around that. Let them find some calming tools. There's tons of that out there. And give that message, you're gonna be a little uncomfortable and that's okay because now you're you're growing. Yeah, if you can learn to be comfortable with that uncomfortable feeling anytime you learn something you it makes a huge difference let's i think it is it the marines that say embrace the suck that i mean i don't know but i love that if you can <laughs> like <good. laughs> I you don't know because anytime you learn a new sport or anything it's very awkward and you feel like everybody's looking at you and you know you feel like you're you're not good enough but of course you're not going to be good enough the first time you do anything but if you can get past that you know yeah yeah, it's the language that we use around that as adults is hugely powerful. We teach about growth mindset in schools, just the power of saying you're not there yet, right. but you can get there and let's be realistic about how you do that. Yeah. Let them sort through that. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to include some links to, to Dr. Siegel's videos too. He's got some really good videos. Um, yes, he we'll does. put those in the show notes. Um, where can we find you? Well, you can go to thrivingschool.org. There's no S on that. Thrivingschool.org is great. They can email me if you have specific questions. Email me. I'll get back to you. Um, Charlie without an I, so C-H-A-R-L-E at thrivingschool.org. And that's the best way. I love to communicate with people and help them out. 
And if anybody needs us in your school, because schools need help connecting parents and empowering teens and equipping teachers, let us know. We can help you out. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was truly a pleasure. Thanks, Hudson, for having me, too. Have a nice day. (laughs) You, too. Thanks. Uh, We have a request for you guys. If you like our content, please share our podcast with your friends. Share it on your social media. It could be this episode or another episode that you really like. We want to be able to help more parents and teens. We actually have quite a few listeners that aren't even parents to teens, but they just like our content. So we work hard to bring you content that's practical and will help you improve your life and would love it if you would share. Have a great week.